Welcome to Mad in Japan podcast. Finally, I'm getting around to start the series about the first years in Japan. Uh, I've been in Japan now 21 years. Uh, had some good times and I've had some bad times and had some very bad times. Uh, so I'm going to start with a little background of how I ended up here and then I'll talk a little bit about some of my thoughts and memories of my first year in Japan. Well, I've always been fascinated with Japan. Uh, my father was stationed in Japan during the Korean War and I would uh, see pictures that he had uh, when I was a child. They always interested me. And um, the very first karate school in my hometown, I was one of the first students, and my teacher was Japanese national that was only in America for like five years at that time. Uh, he's still there and still alive. I think he's about 81-ish uh, now. Well, anyway, I had a fascinating fascination for Japan, and uh, I married a Japanese girl, back in the <clears throat> late 1990s and uh, I had an opportunity to move to Japan uh, on a trial basis. Um, I was working at a paper mill at the time, International Paper, uh, which was uh, Union Camp at the time and then it changed to International Paper. The, the paper machine I worked on, I could tell that it was, the future wasn't looking too bright. Uh, our hours were reduced and the kind of paper we made were limited. And things are looking a little bit, uh, the future is looking a little bit shaky when international paper took all over our Franklin, Virginia operation. So at that time I took the money I had, paid off all my bills and built a guest house on my mother's property uh, to, to basically uh, live simply, to become a minimalist, uh, just having a house that's paid for, cars paid for, no, no major bills, no major debts. And so I started setting up this lifestyle. And then I left the paper mill and cashed in my 401k plan and got all my retirement money. Uh, incidentally, that was like a 50% tax for early uh, withdrawal on that. Anyway, I took the money I invested and I paid off my bills and built that guest house. We moved into the guest house and I took a temporary job that was for a chemical vendor at the paper factory for a year. I knew this job was temporarily temporary. So I took it, and it was, a, it was a good way to say goodbye to my friends and and uh, kind of phase out, if you will, leaving the paper mill. And uh, so that's what happened. I, we lived in the house that we built, and uh, bills were paid, and life was pretty good um, at that time. Uh, then the, the temporary job ended, and I kind of semi-retired. I uh, had a Kung Fu class on Wednesday nights, and that was the extent of uh, my income. And 
that was all I really needed. Bills were paid. I had a few bills, and uh, what I made off my Kung Fu class on Wednesday nights uh, covered most of it. And uh, my wife, she was Japanese at the time, uh, she worked Fridays and Saturdays, uh, Friday or Saturdays, for two or three hours during the dinner rush for a sushi restaurant. And the tips were good, so three hours a week she worked, two or three hours a week I worked, about, and um, we uh, had enough money to keep us going. So uh, after a few months, uh, being retired, not even 40 years old, in my 30s, I achieved my goal, you know, semi-retired, bills are paid, uh, have some income, doing what I love, which is uh, teaching martial arts. Uh, was bored, picking up weight, bored, uh, just a few months retired, if you will, you know, we would have, had a routine, Wednesdays we went to a Mexican restaurant, Fridays we went to uh, lunch, sushi, and I literally laid around in a hammock or just hung out by the pool. Well, most people would say, and to a certain extent, in hindsight, I I kind of missed those days. Um, But I decided, let's do something adventurous. Uh, My martial arts school at the time, I had a couple senior students, and I had one student, he was qualified, he had his black belt, he was qualified to watch the class. Now, a lot of martial arts schools and in America, uh, especially smaller ones or child, children-based ones, uh, often close or shut down during the summer months because of all the summer vacation and vacations and travel and camps and what have you. Uh, so I decided I would let my senior student run the class for uh, spring and summer and then winter when people went back to school and got back on a normal routine I would take over and do it for six months so at least do it for a year so I would go to America I would go to Japan and in Japan I would further my studies in martial arts and you know experience Japan now, that was the plan, six months in Japan, and then return after six months, and then six months in America, and maybe keep, keep doing the six-month, six-month rotation thing. I thought this would be ideal, because I had a little uh, little girl with my wife uh, that was half Japanese and half American, and I thought this would be perfect for her. She would you know, literally get the, the best of both our worlds. And uh, the way, this was not something that was just thought up overnight. This was something that was carefully planned. With the house being built, the bills set up to be paid, and uh, my student taken over for me for the six months I was gone, and the, you know, the curriculum and how everything would be done. And uh, in Japan, 
my wife's business at the time was a tofu shop, which was busy in the spring and summer months and slowed down in the uh, fall and winter months. So it, the, it actually mirrored perfectly uh, the martial arts school in America. So busy season in Japan, I'm in Japan. And in the busy season in America, I'm in America. So it worked out just right. So we have a plan. So we had some careful discussions. If this didn't work out, uh, you know, I we would come back to America. This is just an experiment. And uh, we are definitely coming back to America by Christmas. Now this was uh, 2001, uh, around April, the end of April, when we first went to Japan. So you have a little background now. All right. Now, when we arrive in Japan, I had a job waiting for me at the tofu shop. Uh, they were working late at night. They were waiting for me. They needed me. They were busy, and they they held a job for me that uh, someone recently retired had. So they were working to 10, 11 o'clock at night, uh, waiting for me to get there. So I had a job ready to go uh, to work in the mornings at the tofu shop. So we arrived in Japan, so we decided uh, we were going to stay in Tokyo a couple of days and a little sightseeing. <clears throat> and uh, it was like Friday, so I just be started, uh, was supposed to be starting work on Monday at the tofu shop. So the day we arrived, we found out after we touched bases, that they, they lost one of their biggest customers. I do believe it was the school, uh, the schools of the city were getting tofu. Tofu is kind of a popular thing to eat, especially in uh, warmer weather. Uh, it's in, in several different dishes and it's a popular thing in Japan. They would have it a couple times a week uh, in the schools. And it was a big, big customers to have the schools. Well, as a cost-saving measure, the schools decided to streamline it and buy it from one big company in Tokyo for all the schools in the area and just have it shipped in early morning on those particular days they needed it. So that was a big blow to the business. And I'm arriving in Japan, and they no longer need me. Uh, but I work there. They work... Uh, they reduced their hours to give me, uh, try to, you know, give me enough hours to make uh, some money. Now, the salary that I was told I would get, I got for like two months, and then it started getting uh, hacked away. So I started out making about the equivalent to $2,000 a month for a full-time job at the tofu shop, and then that uh, got down to 1200 a month and 800 it was dropping quickly to the point that uh, it, it really wasn't enough uh, especially for an expensive country like Japan meanwhile uh, most of my students were still going to my uh, school in America 
even though I was not there. Um, <clears throat> but one thing about a martial arts school or about any kind of business like that, you have to keep being proactive to, you know, recruit more students. It's a constant process of trying to get more and more students because you really have a base of uh, six to 12 serious students and then you have another 10 or 15 students that come and try it and quit you know that's that's just the life of martial arts schools in america as well as in japan just a very maybe one percent make it to black belt and the average time is three months people try it for three or four months and realize it's not what they thought they're not going to be bruce lee and chuck norris overnight it actually takes some hard work to get the skill involved so is a high dropout rate. Well, my school was not such a high dropout rate. We had some pretty dedicated students. But you still needed to grow. My school didn't grow uh, because I didn't teach that part of... didn't teach the marketing side to my student. He, he was just baby, basically overseeing the class, and that, that was it. Uh, not being a manager... My mother actually took care of the finances and everything, but as far as recruiting and advertising, that wasn't done at all. So, <clears throat> after a few months in Japan, I just finished working uh, and I went to upstairs to watch TV after a long day at the tofu shop. And they yelled at me from the, I live on the second floor above the tofu shop. And the Japanese family yelled at me to turn on the TV. And I turned on the TV and I saw where the airline crashed into the World Trade Center. And uh, it was live. Of course, it was in the, in the evening in uh, Japan. Uh, it was the morning there. And I was watching it. it and I watched the second plane hit the second tower live. I saw that live from Japan. And this kind of changed everything. We were just about a month, we're just getting ready to buy, I was just getting ready to make plans to go back to America uh, by Christmas, and this was September. And uh, we'd just been in Japan for a few months and this happened, this is really uh, put a monkey wrench in my plans to return. Uh, partly because fear, not not really knowing what was going to happen next, uh, was this something that was going to happen every few weeks or every few months? We didn't, you know, we didn't know what was going on. So my return was put off. Now I was uh, planning to just put it off for a few months. So a few months later, after well after 9/11 and after Christmas, I went to get the passports and I was going to go back now here like eight, nine months. So we we're three months or so past the original plan. And I was informed by my wife at the time um, that she has no intention of going back to America, especially in, in this situation, 9-11, America's at war. So, my first trip land in Japan, which was supposed to be six months, I learned 
that it's going to be, who knows how long. It's going to be indefinite. I don't know. And I was pretty bitter about that. Uh, the first couple months in Japan, uh, well, we landed on a, on a bad note. They didn't need, they didn't need me uh, at, because of, we lost a major customer at the schools uh, for the tofu business. So I, uh, you know, I made the best of it. I, I studied Japanese, I would climb the nearby mountains, I dived into the culture and tried to, you know, be positive about it. And then 9-11 happened. And then um, my wife's brother was in a serious motorcycle accident. Someone hit him from behind and his helmet wasn't fastened security, uh, securely and, his, and he fell and hit his head and fractured his skull on the road. <clears throat> and um, he probably would have died. He was lucky the fact that when he went to the, the city hospital, there just happened to be a neurosurgeon from Tokyo giving a seminar on head injuries, especially in accidents. Just happened to be at the hospital finishing up a medical seminar. And my, and he, uh, my wife's brother comes rolling in an ambulance and he's still there and he does the operation and you know you literally have one of the best surgeons in Japan just happened to be there at the right time so he survived and uh, he's doing well and it's uh, no long-term damage well then that happened it's a series of bad things um, and then the most difficult thing was realizing I wasn't going to be able to go back to America. I had a daughter in America. I had my school in America. My house was in America. My, my life was in America. This was supposed to be a six-month, you know, a little side venture. And uh, so this kind of created a bad situation for me. So I went downtown for the first time. I needed someone to talk to. I felt like it was me against them, and I didn't have any friends in Japan. I didn't have any resources in Japan, though. No, I couldn't go to the embassy. Said to keep my daughter, which is American, she's American, because Japan was not a signatory to the uh, to the Convention for International Child Abductions and things like that. So I had absolutely nothing I could do. I didn't have a passport. Passport was kept from me. Her passport. So, what do I do? I could have gone back to America and probably never return to see my daughter again. I already had a little shaky incident problem already with my other daughter in America, which I'm not there. So, I'm, I was really on a treadmill, uh, if you will, not knowing what to do. I was never been in such a part in my life I had no indecision which way to turn uh, should I stay or should I go <laughs> you know literally you know like the song says and um, so I didn't know what to do I just I needed money I needed money uh, for air tickets whatever because they, they cut cutting my salary to the point I didn't have a job and then I had a, I needed to make income on my and that's when I started teaching English. I was, uh, started teaching English, and luckily I was making some money teaching English. And um, 
was somewhat lucrative back in those days. So I needed to make friends. So I went downtown, and that's when I uh, started meeting people, uh, English speakers, to have someone I could talk to, someone to, to tell them my situation. You know. So I started going downtown and uh, started partying, started drinking too much, going out pretty much. After I finished working on Saturdays, I would drink, go out drinking Saturday, and then come back, you know, early Sunday morning, crash Sunday morning, get up and have some hair of the dog Sunday afternoon. This is like a weekend ritual, and I would do it over and over again, and um, meet friends, go downtown. It's like a weekly thing. And that was it. That was my life. Getting pretty much getting drunk on the weekends and just teaching English and uh, trying to stay away from the house as much as I could. And then before I knew it, weeks became months and months became years. And I had to get out from that situation. And uh, I, my drinking got worse. Before it got better. At one point, I would finish my last class at six o'clock on a Saturday, and uh, take a shower, drink some milk, and get dressed up very nicely and put on a you know a blazer and some jeans, and walk start walking downtown. And what's cool about Japan is they have these little neighborhood every. Every neighborhood has its own little hair salon and own little pharmacy and own small little supermarket, this small little neighborhood bar. And they often are in someone's house. And the first floor is a business, the second floor is where people live. That's how the tofu shop was set up as well. And that's how I'm set up right now, actually. Uh, I have an English school, a kung fu school in, in front of my house. And then uh, we live in the rest of the house. That's very common in Asia. And uh, so I would uh, have a drink, walk on down to the next one, have a drink. So I would hit three or four little small bars on my way walking downtown. I lived about a mile downtown from downtown area. And then I would get to a bar uh, and meet, meet some friends and, and we'd go drinking. And then the bar would close around two. Then we'd go to a, a reggae bar, which was open all night. And, continue party and it's meeting people. This is one big party celebration. Um, and then Sunday would be the same, go somewhere, find somewhere to crash, someone's house, hotel, park bench, wherever, crash Sunday and, and get up and do it Sunday and sometimes Monday too and go back to work. Uh, and then <clears throat> Uh, feel bad for a few days from the you know from the two or three day bender and then uh, the very next week do it again so that this went on for a couple of years and I eventually I just felt horrible I was don't want to sound like a cliche but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired so I sobered up and I would go through long periods of being sober and I 
said, I'm not going to go to the downtown drinking every weekend. I'm doing it every other weekend. And then I trimmed it to once a month. I never liked the concept is you can't drink. You can't. I don't, I didn't, I don't like any kind of anyone to tell me I can't do something or have that belief. But I, I needed to get in control. So that's what I did. I phased it out once a month and then once a season to then a couple times a year. And then now I don't drink at all. But uh, <clears throat> but that was how, you know, before I knew it, a couple of years went by. So because my plans were just pretty much poo-pooed, monkey-wrenched into the gears by my situation and who I was associated with here family-wise, I got out of that. And um, I met my next wife who was a student here in Japan from Indonesia. We fell in love and got married, and that's, she, she helped me uh, go from that, uh, with the drinking and getting my life straightened out. She helped me tremendously, and we are very happy uh, and own our own house and have a wonderful family, beautiful daughter and handsome son and live out in the mountains in Shizuoka, and life has been really good for the last few years, with the exception of a family tragedy here and there, and of course the pandemic, which is going on right now. Um, so the first year, came over here with high hopes, and we had a lot of events happen. We had uh, uh, the, the loss of this customer, they didn't need me working, so my, my income was cut almost immediately. And then uh, 9-11 came, and then uh, brothers in a serious car accident that didn't have nothing to do with me, but it's just a bad feeling in general around the house. Uh, and then the fact I wanted to go back to America for six months, and I, I was told that's not going to happen. And I had some fight back against it, and I was literally stuck in Japan, and uh, finances cut off, and I had to... I had to take over. I had to get, get my own income, go out and find work on my own and make money on my own and uh, get straight sober on my own and pick, up, pick myself up by the bootstraps and quit making excuses and just get it done. And uh, that's what I did. And to take, take it to the next level, I surround myself by good people. And uh, and got rid of my bad habits and developed new new habits which were good um, so the first year first well actually I kind of covered the first two or three years uh, I'll go in more detail with some experiences uh, this today was kind of like a, an overview of the first two or three years how I got here what ha- the, the bad things that happened in the first couple years and, and uh, kind of like a brief update of where I'm at now. I'll pick up on this. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it to 20 or 30 minutes. We're approaching 30 minutes coming up in a minute. Uh, I'd like to thank you listeners for listening to me. Now I apologize again for getting a late start on this series of programs of my first years in Japan. 
this is Manage Japan Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email me at madinjapanpodcast at gmail.com. Madinjapanpodcast is one word. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.